helicopter and, and, and served there. It was a pretty uh, amazing sacrifice they made, but they're back now. Uh, Stacy also serves with us as part of the work that we do with Covenant. Uh, and she has, for the past, until Sinead just took over, led the restorative prayer ministry. And uh, I believe that sometimes God gives people a message, that God gives people a word. It becomes part of just their, their uh, uh, way of doing things. And so Stacy came and shared this with us. And uh, as we were putting together the Church Without Curtains, it was just very clear to me uh, that you needed to hear what we heard. So she's going to come and teach for a few minutes and share with you the message uh, that God has given her. So I'm going to invite Stacy to come up, and we're going to... Oh, and Roots is dismissed every time. Thank you, Tony. I forget that every time. I'm so sorry. So if the Roots folks would want to uh, head out, that would be great. And we need to get the whiteboard in place. And if you'll let me, can I pray for you? Sure. Lord, thank you for... Stacy. thanks for her obedience to do this. This is not an easy thing to walk up here on the stage and to see hundreds of eyes staring at you. And I hope that while I pray, I'm not making her more nervous. <laughs> but Lord, I just pray that your spirit would rest on her. Uh, it is no, no doubt in our minds that you have uh, given her a word uh, for the kingdom, not just for this church, but for the kingdom. And I pray that we would have ears to hear uh, and that we're able to listen uh, to, to what you've uh, breathed into this uh, young woman. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning. I just want to open with a quick word of prayer myself because I just have some special things that I want to ask God for this morning. So if you would, just bow your head with me very quickly. Let's just pray one more time. Jesus, we worship you. Lord, we glorify your name this morning, your sweet and precious name, God. We love you, Lord. Father, we thank you for your promise that where two or more are gathered, you are here with us. And Lord, I know that you're here with us because your word promises that you are. But we're asking this morning that you would bring special revelation to each one of us, God. That you would bring revelation to expose the curtains that we have in our minds, in our hearts, and in our souls. God, we don't want to be separated from you, and we don't want to be separated from each other. So, Lord, we just pray that you would bring your spirit and speak life to us this morning. Amen. If you want to grab your Bibles, you can grab the Bible under your seat. The passage that we're going to start out with this morning is found in Mark chapter 4, verse 33. Mark 4, verse 33. We can go ahead and put that verse up on the screen if you would. You'll find it on page 710 in the Bible under your seat. And I want to just give you a little context of this passage. The context of this passage is that Jesus has been teaching kingdom principles to the crowds and to his disciples. And he's been using the power of story to illustrate his lessons. And so we pick up in Mark 4, verse 33, and this is what the passage says. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them, as much as they could understand. But he did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. A parable is simply a story with a spiritual meaning. And Jesus frequently taught in parables 
because he understood that stories have the ability to instruct our minds and our hearts in ways that simple academic lessons cannot. He also chose to teach in parables because he knew that parables stick with us over time. Stories stick with us over time. And so it was not a surprise to me a few years ago when, um, as Doug mentioned, he invited me to come in and do some training with the staff on restorative prayer. And before, a, a small team of us had started this ministry, and before I went into that uh, session with our staff, I prayed to the Lord and I said, Lord, how can I communicate to my leaders what it is that you're doing in this ministry? And I heard my father say back in response to me, tell them a story. And then I saw a picture of a stick figure in my mind. So this is the parable of Susie and the parable of Stevie, and I'm going to share it with you this morning. Susie is not a real person. She's fictitious. So if you feel that Susie's story closely resembles yours, I have not been reading your mail. This is just the story that God gave me. Susie is 27 years old. And Susie is smart. Susie graduated from Yale. And Susie lives in Detroit and she is upwardly mobile in her career. But the much more important story of Susie that I want to share with you this morning begins when Susie was just five years old. When Susie was five years old, her father had an affair with one of his coworkers. And through the course of this relationship, Susie's father concluded you know, my life just will not be complete unless I take this woman as my wife. And so he did. Susie's father divorced Susie's mom, and he left Susie, and he left her younger brother, and he remarried his coworker. And so at the age of five, Susie has a wound that we call abandonment. Susie continues to grow up. She's seven now, and her father is very busy with his work. He's busy with his new wife, and he has a baby with his new wife. But on every other weekend, Susie's dad has visitation with Susie and her younger brother. And like every small girl, Susie longs for the affection and attention of her father. And so on those Friday afternoons that she knows she's spending the weekend with her daddy, she races off the school bus, she runs up the stairs, and she yells down the hall to her brother. And she says, Stevie, pack your bag, because daddy's coming. And Susie dutifully goes to her room, and she packs her overnight bag. She runs downstairs and sits on the front porch. But many of you know what happens. On many weekends, Susie's dad never comes. And it's not that Susie's dad is a bad person. He's not. And, and Susie's dad doesn't intend to harm little Susie, but he does. 
because he has made other priorities and other people a higher pursuit in his life. And so at the age of seven, Susie has another wound that we call rejection. Susie's 10 now. And Susie's mom is a physician. And I, I can say this because I am a physician, but about 90% of all of my colleagues, including myself, we are very driven, perfectionistic people. And we highly value performance. And Susie's mom is no different. Susie's mom doesn't intend to pass down her driven perfectionism to her, to her children, to her daughter, but she doesn't know any different. And so very subtly, as little Susie's growing up, she communicates to Susie, perform, perform, perform. Now, I think we would all agree there's nothing wrong with doing our best and working hard. The problem comes when we begin to equate our value and worth as a human being with our performance. And that is something that I'm very well acquainted with. So at the age of 10, Susie can relate to Lynn in our study. If, if we read our study this week, we know that Lynn said that also at the age of 10, that her life had basically become a nonstop performance. So at the age of 10, Susie also finds herself becoming very driven and very perfectionistic, very performance-oriented. Now, I just want to say a little word about her brother, Stevie, because he's also going through all of the same things that little Susie is. But the way that, that Stevie processes his mother's perform, 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 is he just begins to just have this overwhelming sense of inadequacy. And he always feels inadequate. Susie's 12, and she can't, she's only 12 years old. She can't process this in her conscience mind, but somewhere deep inside, Susie knows that there's an emptiness stirring inside of her. Susie doesn't go to church, and she doesn't have anyone to help her process through what's happening in her life. So Susie begins to ask the question to herself, what can fill the emptiness in my soul? And, and Susie looks to the same sources that we all look to when we don't have Jesus. She looks to the world. And so Susie looks to social media and pop culture and her teenage magazines and, and pop music. And, and as Susie looks to these sources... She's 14 now. Susie notices something. Susie notices that for a young woman, external beauty is highly valued. And, and not only is external beauty highly valued, but everyone who's portrayed as beautiful is thin. In fact, everyone who's portrayed as beautiful is very thin. Susie wants to be valued. Therefore, Susie wants to be beautiful. Therefore, Susie wants to be thin. So at the age of 14, 
little Susie begins to develop an eating disorder. She begins to just deprive her physical body of the nutrients that it needs to be healthy and vibrant. Susie's 16 now, and she still hasn't found the answer to the question, what can fill the emptiness in my soul? But at the age of 16, she's very sure that she's found the answer. She's, she's looking to all the same sources uh, that she's been looking to, and she finds that everyone who falls in love and then solidifies that love with a physical relationship, they all look so happy. So that must be the answer to the question, what can fill the emptiness in my soul? So at the age of 16, Susie begins to date a young boy. And this kid's not a bad kid, but after a few months of dating, Susie finds herself pregnant. Susie's smart. Susie's going places. She knows that having a baby in this season of life is definitely not going to work out for her. She also knows that carrying that baby to term and giving that baby up for adoption, there would just be way too much shame involved in that. So Susie knows what to do. She goes to the local clinic, and she snuffs that life right out. Now let's switch gears to Stevie for just one minute. We've talked about Stevie is going through all of the same things, and, and Stevie's 16 now, and he is just chronically struggling with this feeling of inadequacy. And at the age of 16, let's pretend that his girlfriend gets pregnant, and he's the one responsible for that pregnancy. And maybe the way that he would manifest that is he is going to try to conquer that problem and just squelch that problem. He's also going to become maybe emotionally detached. And, you know, God just gave me a word this morning for the men in the audience, and I'm just going to go out on a limb and say this. wasn't planning originally to say this, but, and I say this with fear and trepidation because obviously I'm a woman, but, but God just laid on my heart this morning that there are men in the room who are physically present but emotionally absent and to their wives, to their, to their families, to their children. And, and what I just sensed God saying to me this morning was, first of all, he's delighted that you're physically present. Amen? Some of you, that's a huge step in the right direction because your own dad was not physically present. So if you're physically present but emotionally and maybe spiritually absent, God is saying that's great. That's a great step. That's a great first step. But he's also saying, I have so much more for you. I so desire you to be emotionally and spiritually alive. I desire for you to know me in the deep places of your soul and, and to connect with your wife and your children in that way as well. So this is Susie and Stevie. And we can all see, because we are looking from the outside in, that Susie is a mess. 
But Susie has no self-awareness. Susie has no awareness of what's happening to her. And she has no one to help her process through this. And not only does little Susie not have self-awareness, Susie also is completely unaware that there is a spirit realm at play in her life. Two, amen. There is a great God who is made up of Father, Son, and Spirit. And my favorite passage in the whole of the Bible, and we can just put this slide up on the screen if you wouldn't mind, is Jeremiah 31.3. And the passage says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. And I'm so passionate about this topic. It's my favorite topic to speak about is God's love. The reason that passage is my favorite passage is because the word everlasting literally means extending outside of the boundaries of time as we know and understand it. So when God says to us, I have loved you with an everlasting love, this is what he's saying. He's saying, I have been loving you in eternity past. I am loving you now. And into eternity future, I will continue to love you. Amen. But Susie has no idea that she is loved with a pursuing, passionate, everlasting, all-consuming love like that. Even those of, those of us who have been around the church for a while can barely comprehend that spiritual truth. Little Susie doesn't know, but that doesn't change the truth that that is how God feels about her. Susie also does not know that there is another player in the cosmic battle for her soul, for her heart, for her mind. And that is her enemy, Satan. And scripture declares that the reality of Satan is as real as this hand in front of my face. He is not a, a mythical, mythological creature, he is real. And we are in a very real battle. And John 10, we can put that slide up if you would. John 10 tells us that Satan also has an agenda for Susie's life. God's agenda is love and freedom. Satan's agenda for Susie is he has come to steal, kill, and destroy from her. And, and Satan desires to steal her spiritual health her emotional health, and her physical health. And that is what he's doing. Susie also does not know that these areas of her life, these curtains, if you will, create what we have called in our restorative prayer ministry, open doors for the enemy to have access to her soul. You will not find the term necessarily open doors in Scripture. Scripture uses a different term. I love the term open door, but Scripture actually uses the term foothold. And we can go ahead and put that slide up if you wouldn't mind. But Paul tells us in his letter to the Ephesians, he says, Do not give the enemy a foothold. 
And the, def- the literal definition of the word foothold means a secure position for advancement. The word foothold is a battle term. And the audience that Paul is speaking to in that context is believers. He's not speaking to unbelievers. He's speaking to believers. And he's saying, do not give the enemy, children of God, do not give the enemy a secure position for advancement in your life. But this is what Susie has. And this is what we have when we have unhealed wounds and areas and curtains and open doors in our life. Susie is 27 now. And she's grown up. She's graduated from Yale, and she's living in Detroit. And Susie is perfect on the outside. She's beautiful. She's thin. She's smart. She's got a great career. Everything looks perfect for Susie, except one major thing. She's still empty. She still has not found the answer to the question, What is going to fill the emptiness inside of my soul? Amen? We are empty until we find Jesus. I'm just here to tell you that. Susie meets a friend at work named Kim. And providentially for Susie, Kim is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Kim could attend any church, but she happens to attend a great church on the east side of Detroit, called Grace Community Church. Amen? And Kim sees through the veneer of what Susie is trying to make everybody think, that everything's great in her life. Kim has the discernment to see that there's so much pain inside of there. And so Kim forms a relationship with Susie, and Kim invites Susie to come to church. And Susie's not really sure about the whole God thing, but she's still searching for answers to the question, what's going to fill the emptiness? So she, she decides to go ahead and give the whole church thing a try. And unbeknownst to Susie, hallelujah, the Trinity has already decided that today is the day of salvation for Susie. So Susie walks into the door of our church, and she sits down in the seat, and the teaching pastor stands from the pulpit, and he declares the gospel. And we know that there's power inherent when the gospel is shared. And the teaching pastor explains to Susie that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one, not even one, who reaches God's holy perfection. But thanks be to God, Jesus has died on the cross for the payment of our sin. And if we just choose to believe in Jesus and believe in his death on the cross and believe that he rose from the dead, then we can receive his free gift of eternal life. Susie hears the gospel and Susie believes. She is a child of God now. Please say amen if you know that that is the most significant event that happens in any of our lives. Amen. 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 Susie begins to grow spiritually. Susie is excited about her faith. 
she knows that she's finally found the answer to the question, what's going to fill the emptiness? She knows that the answer is Jesus. But eventually what will happen to Susie, and what does happen to Susie, is she finds herself stuck. She finds herself blocked. And she's not really sure why. So she comes to church one morning, and she hears all the buzz about the new curtains Bible study that's going on. And Susie decides to, to sign up for the Bible study. She wants to get into a great group, and she wants to see if there's someone who can help her identify why she's feeling stuck and why she's feeling blocked. And the truth is, church, because I want to make sure that I create no spiritual confusion, at the moment of salvation, all of Susie's sins are forgiven. Her past, present, and future sins have been wiped clean. But Susie, you know what? I'm sorry, I just lost my train of thought. Susie, thank you. Um, that will not instantaneously fix all of Susie's footholds. All, it won't automatically and instantaneous, instantaneously close all of Susie's doors. Susie will be free when Susie learns how to take possession of the freedom that Christ has already paid for her on the cross. Amen? I'm going to just say that one more time. At the moment of salvation, our sins are forgiven. Past, present, and future, the slate is wiped clean for us. But that does not mean that instantaneously it fixes all of this mess that we have in our lives. We will be free when we learn how to take possession of the freedom that Christ has already paid for us on the cross. And church, this is the, the parable of Susie. And Susie is you and Susie is me. And it doesn't matter if you're in the house today and you're male or female, black or white, rich or poor. It doesn't matter. We have all felt the sting of pain and disappointment that comes with living in a broken world. There's no one in this place who has escaped. And I know what we do. We, when we hear someone's story, what we tend to do is we tend to compare ourselves. And I just, I felt like the Spirit wanted me to say something about comparing because I sense that not all of you, but maybe some of you in the audience today are looking at Susie's story and you're doing one of two things. You're either over here looking at Susie's story, thinking to yourself, Susie's story is light. My story is so much more tragic than this. I have so many more open doors than Susie. It feels hopeless. Or on the other hand, some people might be looking at Susie's story and thinking to themselves, well, actually, my parents had a pretty good marriage and they didn't get divorced and I never had an abortion, so I think I'm doing okay. And, and the point is not a point of comparison. It's not a point whether we have fewer wounds or more wounds than Susie. This is the point of the parable of Susie. Number one, we're all wounded. 
And number two, the question that God is asking us in the parable is, will we have the courage to take an honest look inside of ourselves? Is it difficult? Sometimes it is. Yes, it is. And thank you to the brother who ever said yes, because it is. Is it messy? Yeah, it is sometimes. But this is what I know God wants me to share with you this morning. And I know it because he's been whispering it in my ear for the last couple of weeks. But I also know it because Doug has been saying the same thing from the pulpit, and it's all throughout our curtain study. And if you want to go ahead and just put that slide up, that would be great. This is what I know God wants to say to Grace Community Church. The Spirit's primary motivation in exposing the deeper places in our soul is love. His secondary and tertiary motivation in exposing the deeper places in our soul is love, love, and then some more love. A few weeks back, I traveled to um, two hours to Marshall, Michigan, to meet with my new spiritual director. And I absolutely love her, and we had a delightful time. But we talked about a lot of things going on in my life. And about a week after we met, a heaviness just started to creep into me. And I knew exactly what was happening because I've been on this journey of learning to take possession of the freedom that Christ already won for me. I've been on this journey for a long time, but it's still going. And I just felt like the Spirit was saying to me, there's more. There's more. You still have some unhealthy attachments, especially in the area of self-protection. You're still trying to protect yourself, Stacy. And I'm like, Oh, but Lord, I've been working on this for so long. I've been down this journey. And he's like, it's okay. You're doing great. But there's another layer. Keep going. And the heaviness on me, because I knew that there was more stuff in there, was so palpable that my husband came home from work. And he said to me, are you okay? Because there is a palpable heaviness on you today. And I don't know about you, but... God let me sit in that place for a couple of days. And then out of nowhere, I just have to say that I am in love with the Spirit of God. Because out of nowhere, church, the Spirit just shows up in my life and he brings light into my darkness and he brings death, I'm sorry, he brings life into my death. And that's exactly what happened. I was driving down 696 all by myself, and out of nowhere, I hear the Spirit of God say to me, very gently, but very firmly. So, Stacy, I'm wondering, are you just going to sit there in your heaviness? Are you going to actually practice what you preach and what you tell others? And, you know, I just laughed and, and smiled. And, and after that, I heard the Spirit whisper to me, Stacy, don't you know that my primary, secondary, and tertiary motivation in exposing this, this unhealthy attachment that you have to guarding yourself is love? My motivation is love, love, and then some more love. And I, I didn't know how to respond. You know, I'm by myself, and I literally just started laughing out loud because I knew that the Spirit was just giving right back to me what he was asking me to give to you. And this is the point, church. This is the point. 
when we begin to understand that God actually does love us, that he actually has our back, and that he's actually for us and not against us, it changes our posture from one of avoiding and resisting the curtains in our lives to a posture of trust and receptivity. When we're ready to accept that we have curtains that block us from God and from others, then we're ready to partner with the Spirit in the process of taking those curtains down. And I'm not going to get into a lengthy discussion this morning on, on what exactly that process looks like, but if we could go ahead and put up the next slide, some of the steps that are involved in the process are forgiveness, confession, repentance, and identifying the lies that we have come to believe. And I just, I just want to say that this is what we're doing in our curtains study. And if you want to, you know, learn more about this, there's a lot of press, if you will, coming from the pulpit about restorative prayer. But I highly encourage you to make a restorative prayer appointment because we will very gently and very patiently walk with you and lead you into a conversation with God where you can go through some of these steps on an individual basis, just between you and God. Church, when we are ready to partner with the Spirit in removing our curtains, then we are truly, honestly, and authentically ready to pray the prayer in our study, which says, search me, O God, and know me. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And when we do that, when we do that, when we're ready, this is what God does. He heals our wounds. He takes away our shame. And he frees us from the things that have kept us bound. Amen. We want to give you a chance to uh, respond. Um, here's what I know to be true. Um, I've listened to this a few times, and it gets me every time. Um, some of you can relate to Susie. Uh, some of you can relate to Susie and the fact that you know that there's a void, and you just don't know what to do with the void. I, I've never really been able to fill this empty thing in my soul, and there's an invitation for you to respond to the invitation of Christ. This morning, some of you can relate to of walking with Christ for a long time, but feeling blocked. There's just some things I haven't dealt with, and the study is part of that. But but there's an opportunity for us to pray for you this morning for that as well. But I think some of you would look at the story and listen to the story, and you're not Susie. You're Susie's dad, and you're the guy that left. And you know you've left a trail of damage behind you, and you feel shame and. And have never really been able to let go of that. And can I tell you that the same Jesus that wants to bring healing into Susie's life wants to bring healing into Susie's dad's life. Or maybe you're the boyfriend whose girlfriend had that abortion. 
and you've never been able to let go of the shame and the hurt of that. The same Jesus that came for Susie came for Susie's boyfriend. And so what we want to do is uh, the band is going to play a little music for us. Um, I want to invite you to come down and we want to pray with you. And part of all we're going to pray is that God would bring his light and healing into those places that you've never really exposed to him before. It's a good chance for you just to peel back the curtain and say, God, I know that this is affecting me. I know that those things that have happened to me are still wreaking havoc in my life, but I don't want them to because the word says when the sun sets you free, you're free. And so we want to live into that freedom that, that Christ has ushered into us. And again, I just want to remind you that if, if you don't know Jesus, today's the day. You do not have to wait. You don't have to jump through any hoops. You just got to say, I am empty and I need Jesus to fill me. And we would love to pray that with you as well. So they're going to play. They're going to sing. And my invitation to you is just to come down and allow us to pray with you. Mm -hmm.